Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this Empire Podcast interview special. If you're listening to this, that means you probably know who Kevin Smith is and therefore you don't need me banging on about his career, about how he started out as a zeitgeist capturing writer, director, sometimes actor with the likes of Clerks or Clarks if you're in the UK, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back before enduring some critical and commercial disappointments. You don't need me to tell you how his innate ability as a verbal storyteller. Seriously, I said to him in the interview, but if the guy wanted to be, he could be one of the best stand-up comedians in the world, led to a second career as the head of an ever-growing podcast empire, and how, early last year, he suffered a massive heart attack that very nearly took him off the board. Thankfully, though, it didn't, and in fact, it lit something of a fire under his ass. He's recently wrapped filming on Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, his return to the fewest universe. He's turned vegan and is looking healthier than he's ever been, and he's still potting it up a storm, which is why he was in London recently for a live Hollywood Babylon show at the O2 with Ralph Garman. And when I heard Kevin was coming to town, I dropped him a line and asked him if he'd be up for coming into our studio and popping his Empire podcast cherry. He said yes, and so what you're about to hear is the joyous result as Ben Travis and I sat down with Kevin to talk about, well, all sorts. Or, more accurately, be talked at about all sorts, because if you're here, then you'll probably know that Kevin Smith is a talker. And had he not had to run off for a plane back to L.A., this would have been a much, much longer special. But Ben and I had a lot of fun and even managed to get a word in every now and again. And we hope you guys enjoy this as well. We talk about his life as a podcaster, about his attitude towards his films and career now that he's had some extra perspective. We talk about Jen Silent Bob reboot, of course. We talk about the Chris Hemsworth cameo in Same. We talk about the Stan Lee cameo in Captain Marvel and how Kevin helped make that possible. And of course, we talk about his heart attack. We also, about 15 minutes from the end, turn it into a mini Avengers Endgame spoiler special. So if you still haven't seen the second biggest movie of all time, info correct, a time of recording, then perhaps skip that couple of minutes. Right, that's enough for me. You're here to listen to Kevin Smith. So here he is. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by a man who is a director, a writer, an actor... And he knows his way around a podcaster too. Okay, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> this, I was waiting for that one. I was like, this, this is the only reason I get to be here because I'm good at that. That's a fucking pinnacle of your career, isn't it? Kevin it Smith? really is. Yeah. It was actually this kind of second act in many ways. Like uh, when film dried up for a minute, like, and I, you know, to be fair, I dried it up, right? I was like, I'm done. I'm retiring and shit. Podcasts kind of fueled me, not just like, spiritually because it was very you know like oh this is kind of punk rocky like Mm -hmm. you could just come up with a name for your band and you don't really need to know but four chords and you sit down with friends and Mm -hmm. like just pretend because you've seen people do it your whole life and like oh now we're doing it and shit like it's same way that like you know the fucking kids from joy division discovered that they would be new order and like fucking that music was part of their lives like oh we're good at this and like that's kind of what what we did. It wasn't like, this will be the plan. It was just kind of like, oh, that that happened. And oh, it worked. And oh, this kept working. And then I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And podcasting took on that same electric vibe that film had had for me, where it's like, you mean anybody can do this? Like anybody could just, like nobody's going to stop us? So podcasting was even easier because it required like no means whatsoever. And because of all the Laserdisc commentary tracks, I was ready. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I was ready to chat. So, yeah, I, I've 
It was beautiful. And then ironically, like podcasting then fueled like a stage of the movies with Tusk and, mm. and Yoga Hosers and then the forthcoming Moose Jaws. And and honestly, now I feel like I'm getting to a place in my career where it's like I, my evolution or 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 line of from here to there starts with fandom and I really feel in my heart of hearts it ends in fandom as well. I don't think I go out directing a movie. Um I and not I'm not like doing the I'm going to retire thing. I just think that like making movies is less of a priority to me than the convenience and ease and wonder of sitting down and talking to somebody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and I understand like now the podcasting game is fucking crowded, man. Everybody's got, I saw a billboard for a Ron Burgundy podcast, uh-huh. a fucking billboard for a podcast. Yeah. Like the beauty of this pool was that we were all equal to some <laughs> degree. I mean, but I say that as the guy who started a podcast coming from the world of film. Yeah. So I had a bit of an advantage too, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But then when I see somebody else have a big, bigger advantage, I'm like, that ain't right. We got to keep it ours. <laughs> and it's not mine. You know, that's just the way you feel and stuff. But yeah, podcasting, like to me is is right up there with the filmmaker title. And I always kind of pop it first. And I know, if, I don't know if I do that for like, effect or if i truly feel like well that's what i am in my heart of hearts but i can see myself going back to a place of not making movies and just talking about them and mm. you can see it happening right now it's like 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 uh, i would you know, people are like don't you want to make a marvel movie and i was like fuck no i would love to do an hour-long fucking review of it like where i just talk about all the awesome parts because that's what <laughs> i'm equipped to do that's what I've been doing since childhood. Yeah. Like, you know, the fucking uh, Avengers review that I put up on, on the channel that everybody seemed to like. That doesn't require talent. That requires passion. And I got passion, you know, about a boatload. Talent is negligible. But <laughs> I should be a siren cry for everybody out there who's like, fuck, man. Like, it really doesn't take talent to be in that but, business. But there is talent, though, Kevin, because, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to see you it's not stand-up, but it's as close to stand-up as mm-hmm. I think you can possibly get. And, you know, I've seen you hold court at Comic-Con. I've seen you hold court in your live shows. That's just talking. Talk for, it's just talking, but it's talking really fucking funny <laughs> uh, for two hours, two, sometimes even longer than that. Yeah. And without Try. a script, without any preparation. So there's talent there. I mean, you know, I couldn't do that. Ben, you could do that, Ben. I'm sure you could probably do that, but I would just be going, <laughs> um, uh, um. I do that too. If you go back and watch the... Um, Stan Lee, uh, was it Marvel's Mutants and Monsters? Like, I've been so lucky across the course of my career because I was in what they call an early adopter on shit that really wasn't early adopting. I like comic books. Everybody, a lot of people liked comic books at one point. I just talked about it a lot in the movies so that when people were like, we need a comic book something, they <laughs> would think of me. So, like, I wound up... Um, who was it? Mike Stratford, who was a great guy, who was responsible for like, almost responsible for like uh, the secondary career. I guess I've had a couple careers, not just podcasting and film, but like of me standing on a stage and talking for money, so to speak. Mm. He was the guy. He had went to like Academy show. I did. I did a gig at the Academy in two thousand one. A Q and A, kind of like what I always do. And he went to it because he was in town, you know, because that's where he lived in Hollywood and stuff. He worked at Columbia TriStar. We met doing the Dogma DVD. He was the the creator of the special features on a DVD. He was the guy that, like, pushed that medium forward and stuff. Um, so he saw it and he was like, 
that's funny, man. You should do that. Did you ever record those? And I was like, no, not at all. It never occurred to me to do that. And he was like, you should do it. He's going, I want to pitch a series, an evening with a bunch of directors. So it would be like you and Quentin Tarantino and Michael Moore and Barry Sonnenfeld. He goes, Barry's a great storyteller, which I've heard like for years. Barry's a really great storyteller. So the idea was there'd be a bunch of filmmakers. And I was going to be the first. And so he went and uh, I was going to do some college gigs. And he said, can we just piggyback and shoot those shows? I said, oh, my God, absolutely. And what I was thinking was, so stupid. If we shoot these shows and there's a DVD, then colleges could just play a DVD. I won't have to fly to all these places to tell these stories. Like, I'll never have to tell the Superman story again because it'll be on wax and shit. And what it did in, instead was created a whole other business where people were like, come speak here now. Like, I, I had, like, a great run in the 90s in terms of, when Clerks happened, I was just young enough for college kids to be like, hey, man, he ain't that fucking far removed from us and stuff. Mm -hmm. So for a good 10-year stretch, I was like the college Q&A king because he works in the business. He seems to know some famous fucking people, <laughs> which they like that. And, uh, like, he's willing to come chit-chat, and he's pretty frank and stuff. And it was this weird business that, like, I kind of backed into. I first started doing it out of Christian guilt. Because, like, Mallrats tanked, and this university in Delaware was showing the movie, and they were like, we're showing Mallrats. Like, you're in New Jersey. You're not that far. Would you come speak after after the movie? And I was like, God, that movie didn't do well. I should <laughs> go speak. Like, I was still doing penance and stuff. So I drove out to Delaware, and, and what I discovered was my favorite part of the filmmaking process. It ain't writing it. It ain't making it. It's not cutting it. It's not releasing it. It's sitting in the audience with people that want to see it. Like, that became my favorite thing. And that's what I, like, my career is kind of driven toward. Like, the Red State Tour and Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movie and then probably with Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. We'll tour it because it's not, like, back in the day, it'd be like, hey, it's playing in Dallas and you're not there. And how's it playing? It's doing great. I know I can't be there for every fucking exhibition, public exhibition of the movie, but I was for Red State. Yeah. In Red State's life, I was at every fucking public screening of that movie, even over here. And you stayed and watched it every single time? Every fucking time. The I yeah. was such a fan of that movie, and more so a fan of the audience discovering that movie for the first time. Because yeah. that movie was a real, like, let me see if I could be a good filmmaker. Like, somebody just asked, we had a, after the, the show last night at the O2, there was a, a woman backstage with this guy, and uh, they were chit-chatting with me. And she had just fallen down the rabbit hole of my stuff. But she started with Red State. She started with Red State. Oh. So I was like, boy, it must have been a real fucking disappointing <laughs> journey after that for you. And she's like, you know, there's good stuff, but like there's nothing like Red State. She's like, you should do that more often. And she's like, it's just so angry. And I was like, but I can't because I'm not angry. Mm -hmm. I was like, that movie is like a one-off. That was me going like, let me see if I could have been a really great filmmaker. Like if I, let me see if I could have been a Coen Brothers or, or, or Quentin. That's my movie where I try to be the most like the filmmakers who I admire. And so you could look at that movie, strip my name off and show people that movie. They would never think like, oh, it's a fucking Kevin Smith movie. It kind of works without my name on it and works even better without my fucking name. The same way that recently uh, Detective Comics 1000 came out and I wrote like an eight page story in it. Um, and the story didn't have my credit until the last page. And so a bunch of people were like, I loved that story. Then I saw your name, um, which was like their way of like, I was never going to like that story if I saw your name first because yeah. I would have viewed it through the filter of fucking like, oh, here we go. Yeah. And so 
Red State was like that for me. Red State was, I was describing to the woman because she was like, why don't you do more like that? And I was like, that's, that was me just trying to like show that I could do it, but that's not what's in my heart and soul. Like, you're right. That's an angry little fucking movie, but like, I'm not that angry in real life. Like, I'm the guy you go to when you're angry. That's what I like to be for people. <laughs> when people are like, I hate this fucking world and shit's going wrong. And like, you know, back in the States, Alabama just fucking outlawed abortion. Yeah. While I, I left yeah. the state for one week. <laughs> I leave the States and fucking the whole country went to hell. So, you know, a lot of people maybe want you to say something. Uh-huh. But they don't need me to fucking be like, I hate this shit because what is an echo chamber. Hmm. What they need me to do is take their fucking minds off it. Like I'm there to entertain. I'm there to like fucking like forget about that for a few hours. You know, that's my modus operandi as a filmmaker. Escape, motherfucker. Come in here. I'm going to put you in a fake world and shit like that. So I like to be the person that people turn to when they're like, I fucking hate this sick old world. And, you know, they come over and make them laugh or show them something or they hear something. And they're like, oh, you know what? It ain't fucking a bad. The, what, what the Avengers is for me, what those Marvel movies is for me, well, are for me. Like the thing that makes it okay when shit's really gone south in the rest of the world. Like where it's like, you know what? World can't be all that bad. Look at these fucking amazing movies. Like somebody gives a shit out there. Like there's... There's hope or whatever the fuck. Mm. I, I like to be the person that they, they don't go to with their to be more angry. I don't want to share their anger, yeah. like because I already do. But they don't need to hear that. Just like people are always like, "You fucking love everything that you talk about. You're always blowing every comic book movie." And I was like, "That's not true." But I do blow the ones that I talk about, hardcore and shit. You can see it all over my mouth. <laughs> but you'll never hear about the shit that I don't like, and I don't like a lot of stuff. A lot of fucking shit I don't like. Tons. There's more I don't like than I do like. But why would I fucking tell you about that? Like, I've already wasted my time with it and shit. I'm not going to waste your time being like, oh, avoid this. Because the thing that I want to avoid could be the fucking crucible for you. The thing mm-hmm. that saves your fucking life and shit. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, ew, you just want to be liked. I'm like, no, nah, that's not it. It's really because I don't make shit that's necessarily cuddly and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just don't. They don't need me to be mad. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They, people are mad enough. So Red State, like, she was responding to, like, the ferocity and the anger of the film. And I was like, I can't do that because I don't feel that naturally. Like, that's that's really something that I have to fucking channel and throw in. And at the end of the day, like, that movie was more about me proving something to myself mm. than the rest of the world. I was like, I was explaining it to her. I was like, do you ever see that movie, The Freshman, with uh, Matthew Broderick and... and, um, and Marlon yeah, Brando. Yeah. There's a scene in The Freshman where he goes to see uh, Matthew Broderick in college, and he's, like, leaning in the door of his dorm and shit, and he goes, like, uh, it's the end of the scene. And it's a real throwaway fucking line, but, it, like, it sticks with me, and it fucking shapes my decisions and shit like that, or justifies my decisions, or I use it to justify things I've done. He goes, he looks around, Marlon Brando, he goes, so this is college? He goes, I didn't miss anything. And he walks out. <laughs> And that's what I, like, after Red State, I was like, so this is what it's like to make a, a classy film, a mm. good film. I didn't miss anything, you know, and I went back <laughs> to doing what I like doing the best because that's that's what I want to do. Like, those are the movies that, that, that I want to see. Like, you know, the weird fucking Kevin Smith movies, of which now Red State's one of them. And I guess the problem with showing people that you can be more and do more yeah. is that they're like, well, the bar has been raised. But I'm like, uh oh. Bar was raised that one time. I'm back down here now. I mean, Red State was the start of this kind of different era of your career. Mm-hmm. You've got these experimental films from that to Tusk to Yoga Hoses. What was it like rediscovering 
old Kevin Smith through Jane Silent Bob reboot? Was it easy to rediscover that side of yourself? It was. It was fun. It was like putting on like uh, you know a pair of jeans from your fucking teenager. Something I could do now. Putting on an old <laughs> pair of jeans and being like, holy shit, they still fit, and wearing them. And suddenly you're like, why did I stop wearing this shit? It was. Um, it was fun, and 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 I'll keep doing it. Like the Red State and Tusk and Yoga Hosers and and Moose Jaws, like Detour, because that I don't know. That's kind of like more at the core of who I am, like weird shit like that. But it was really nice to dive back into the Askew universe because I'm, I'm certainly not blaming anybody, but I remember being kind of chased out of it. Like the general consensus was like, uh, and this was early online, right? Because I kind of stopped in 2006 with mm. Clerks too. Mm. But, like, the consensus that I would get over and over again, the way they would always kind of get at me on my message board and shit was, like, it's just the same movie and over and over. You just keep making movies with Jane Silent Bob and Michelle. You should do something different and blah, blah, blah. And you hear that enough. And whether or not you choose to believe it, it just builds up. And you're like, all right. And that's where Jersey Girl comes from. It's like, all right, I'll fucking give you a movie that's not set in the Ask universe. And look what that did. <laughs> You know, who did I prove a point to? So... I, yeah, there was a period where it was like, oh, you're not – and again, nobody said this. I'm not finger pointing. But this kind of like, aren't you done telling these stories? How many fucking movies are you going to connect? And, you know, then one day like the Marvel Universe happened and shit. And people were like, connected movies rock. And I'm like, they do, don't they? <laughs> they Look really, at all of this. Yeah, I've got a bunch. <laughs> um, and that's been nice. Like a bunch of people like, hey, man, uh, you had a, mo- a movie universe before Marvel. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but – I stole the universe idea from their comics. So <laughs> it really is its their idea, the idea of connecting everything. So it was a blast going back to Reboot. Um, number one, like working with Jay as that character. I've been standing next to Jay for the better part of 30 years, and the last almost 10 of those have been on the live show, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's Jay as Jay and, and me talking about him and his life, and he's funny as himself talking about himself. But it was a whole different kettle of fish to have him play that role again which is something that he hasn't really done with me since like 2006 i mean the cartoon movie yes but it was weird to be falling into the old habits like i i could line read him he doesn't give a shit like you know he'd be like say it like this and he's like all right he loves it because he's like that we're gonna get out of here quicker my kid on the other hand she's in the movie she didn't she's like actress she's still adler method and shit <laughs> so she came to work f- from quentin's movie to work on ours and on quentin's movie you're acting and mm. shit like that you know, there's no cell phones on set and shit you're immersed in the world she's like hardcore actress actress and shit and then she came to our movie and like you know first day her first day i was she did a take and you know we were trying to move fucking fast we only had like 21 days we were really up against it with mm-hmm. the schedule so I was like, um, hey, man, do me a favor. Just say it like this and gave her a line reading and shit. And so after the take, you know, we watched the playback. And then I saw her kind of like like sitting quietly off to the side. And I was like, what's the matter, kiddo? And she's like, you gave me a line reading in front of everybody. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And she's going, that's just really humiliating for an actor and actress. Don't you know that? And I was like, oh, I've heard that. I said, I, yeah, I guess. I, I I apologize. I said, but like. I have been an actor mm-hmm. in stuff, too. And I love it when the director gives me a line ring because that means I know I'm being the fucking thing if I do it right. And then walked away. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was uh, very different. She was, And not in a bad way at all. I loved it. But she was like, she didn't, she wanted to, like most real actors and actresses, mm-hmm. she wanted to find her way to the 
performance and shit. Jay's the other guy who's like, get me there as quickly as possible. And it's beautiful. Like, and I didn't have to do it that often because he, like, it's all written to his, it's funny to watch his process because it's written to shit that he has said Mm -hmm. historically, maybe not word for word, but like it's written to his, (laughs) it's his rhythms. And you know, he, it, it only takes him about untouched. If I don't go and do anything, about two takes before it clicks in, mm-hmm. it falls into the neural paths where he's like, oh, I know exactly how to say this. Snooch to the nooch. Exactly. I, I know where the inflection goes. It's on nooch. <laughs> so it was, it was lovely on that respect because I spent most of the movie with those two. But then everybody else that they came back was, was nuts. Like when we went to New Orleans, we didn't expect to get many cameos. Like at the end of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, there are 22 picture cards of like, these are the people that were in the movie and shit. And I was like, I told everyone from the start, I was like, number one, I ain't at the height of my fucking powers anymore. I was like, you got to remember, when we made Strike Back, we're coming off a of fucking dogma. And so, like, I met with everybody. Like, mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey I met with at mm-hmm. one point. We didn't really have anything for him. You know, like, he's a talented fucking dude. But but I was on one level, I was like, why do you want to be in this fucking movie? Because <laughs> they were all thinking about dogma. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm like, they didn't know what the next movie was, like, the, a sharp right fucking turn. All they knew was, like, oh, those guys who were in Dogma are going to be in it? They were the best part of Dogma. Fantastic. I can't wait. And Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is, like, admittedly, is the guy that made the movie leagues below dogma as a thinking person's film. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you were like, I love the work of dogma, I'll be in anything the guy does next. And then you were in Strike Back, you were like, oh, well, this is nice, too. It aged well, but it was a real kind of sharp left or right turn. That's definitely where I started losing critics, where they were like, wait, you're going to follow Chasing Amy and Dogma with this? And I was like, well, yeah, this is fun. So this time around, like, I, I got to enjoy the movie in a way that I probably like didn't when we were making the one in 2001. Mm-hmm. Cause back then I was still all about like, we got to get through this because we got to set up the next one. Like once you get your foot in the door, you're like, I just want to keep fucking working and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't making big hits. So it was like, I got, I got to make sure the next thing is set up before this fucking implodes or doesn't become what it should be so that I can get the next thing fucking going and stuff. So, and it wasn't until like years later, you get your head up, you look around, you're like, Jesus, we did a lot in the last few years and stuff. Mm. This time around, I was fully cognizant of like, well, this is rare. Like, I know exactly, like, it's not like, oh, it's just another view of Skew movie and shit. It's like, I haven't done this in a long fucking time. And after the heart attack, it really had all the feeling of like, this man almost died and it made him feel very old. And so (laughs) to make himself feel very young again, he went up to the attic and he pulled out all his old toys and he played with them and fucking it reinvigorated. And that's what it was like. Like I got to pull out every view of universe action figure that ever meant something to my stories or, or to me or whatever and put them all into one thing, even more so than like when we did on Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And so aside from all the returning players, we got a bunch of like fucking cool people to show up as well, which had everything to do with like the heart attack. Everybody that came to do the movie after they were done would come over and be like, I'm glad you're alive and then leave, which was a nice way of saying like, that's why I did this. Don't call again unless you're on death's door. So at the end of the day, Jane Tom Bob strike back has 22 of those single cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reboot has 44. We wow, wound whoa. up getting fucking more people. Um, and I, I couldn't, I, it, that's definitely the heart attack. 
And it's also New Orleans, which I thought would have been a detractor because it's like you got to fly two, three hours to get there from mm-hmm. Los Angeles. But you forget it's fucking New Orleans. So when you call people and you're like, would you like to come out to New Orleans for two days? And they're like, in the middle of Mardi Gras and you're going to pay for everything? Fuck yes. And so people would come out and stuff. So it really like worked out. We did it like we thought Mardi Gras was going to hurt us, but it actually wound up in a weird way helping us get some cool cast to come out. You got Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. That was <laughs> That's a big get. And that came off of, like, the press. Like, uh, the uh, in Vanity Fair, they did this piece where they talked to him and shit, and he talked about, he mentioned my name. He used my fucking name, and he was like, Kevin Smith was talking about Thor in a podcast, mm-hmm. and, and we realized, like, the people listen to that guy, so, hey, maybe we should try something. And I was like, Chris Hemsworth knows my name? So when we were putting this movie together... I said, hey, man, reach out to fucking Chris Hemsworth. He he, he seemed to know my name, and, and he listened to one of the podcasts at least once. <laughs> <laughs> and f- fucking damn, if, like, it was, you know, his, I think his manager was also a fan. Like, I went to film school because of Clerks and shit. One of those things that's like, holy shit, thank God for Clerks. It really opens still to this day. Quarter century later, still opens fucking doors and stuff. And so he was like, let me run it past him because I know he likes the movies and shit like that. And he knows Matt. And so all of a sudden, like, they were getting back to us going like, well, what are you looking at? We can't get him down there for when you're shooting. But, like, could you do him in Los Angeles? And I was like, I'll I'll fucking do him in Asgard if that's (laughs) like, I'll go anywhere if that's possible. And so he made time. And and I just I want to shout this out because it's like incredibly fucking special. And it says a lot about him. On a day where, when he came to us in Los Angeles to do the green screen day, he was like, I said, what else you got? Like in that kind of like, what are you doing next? Like passing the time conversation. And he listed nine fucking things. Two of them were on different continents that were going to take place in the next 48 hours, like after us. And I was like, I can't believe you fucking made the time to throw this in in the middle of this because it was all pre-Avengers. It was like him going on Kimmel yeah, yeah. and then Fallon and then jumping on playing for the London fucking premiere and shit yeah, like yeah. that. And he was so sweet. He was like, mate, this is the thing I was looking forward to the most. It's an actor <laughs> thing to say, but I took it, man, because he's a good actor. I believed it and shit yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So it was really, really sweet that he came out. And also, nice. A lot of the other people that came out, like we worked with before, mm-hmm. so having them back is important, but people are like, oh, of course they came back. What else you got? So it's <laughs> nice to be able to be like, uh, we have an Avenger. Like, yeah. <laughs> the strongest Avenger is with us. And he was, like, legit funny. The dude's really funny. And so scrape away that his Avenger, it was just nice to have somebody who can do yeah, really yeah. fucking funny shit. Do you have a moment, uh, not to spoil things for Reboot, but do you have a moment like Avengers Endgame where you have 76 people on stage <laughs> at one time? Where they assemble. Ask universe assemble. <laughs> Portals <laughs> outside. Portals going the quick stop. If <laughs> I had seen the movie prior to this, yes. That's how we definitely would have finished. Uh, but no. But oh my God. What a... Now you're just making me think about that moment. It was astounding. <laughs> and like so well earned. Like mm-hmm. 10 years of storytelling to get to the moment where they're like, let's just put all our toys out at once. Mm. And it's breathtaking because you're like, look at all that IP. Oh, my God. It's incredible. It never ends. <laughs> IP assemble. <Yes. laughs> but that was definitely like when I saw Avengers, like I felt like, holy shit, they outdid me. While we were making uh, Reboot, I felt like this is the greatest fan service movie ever made. Because, like, I'm the biggest Kevin Smith fan in the world, so I know what Kevin Smith fans want. <laughs> so I was able to, like, put it in, and every scene, it's like, oh, my God, this is going to take their breath away. And then I saw 
you know, Endgame, and I was like, I bow to you. This is incredible fucking fan service. Like, every T crossed, every I dotted in a satisfying way. Like they walked the line really, really artfully between great storytelling and fan service as well. I spoke to the writers Agreed. about it afterwards, and they, they were it was a dilemma for us. Is, you know, I guess it's an Avengers Endgame mini-spoiler special now, but <laughs> yes. is Cap wielding Mjolnir, is that great storytelling, or is it fan service? It could be both. It's absolutely both. And, uh, and, and a beat that didn't come out of the blue, they built up to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they seeded that. And whether it was, I doubt it was seeded intentionally, because I had them on a podcast too, and those guys are very... Like, because I was like, did you guys know? How far out did you know? And they're like, that's not the way it runs at Marvel. Kevin Feige is a very eat what's in front of you type of guy. So they're not, even though they were like, wouldn't it be great if we got to the Avengers? There was no like, here's the 10 year plan. Mm. It was like, we're going to make a great movie and we're going to make another great movie. And we're just going to keep making great movies. And if we do it right, we're eventually going to wind up there, which is what fucking happened. So it was, it was a dream more than a design. And. You know, they just have the talent and the ability and the the wherewithal it certainly helps, but also the audience to pull it off. Like as much as those cats are all magicians and shit, like this is the one instance, you know, everyone's like, You are a part of the equation too, and it's usually horseshit. The audience is a big part of that movie. Like almost not we certainly I'm not taking any authorship on any stretch of the imagination, but like they were thinking of us every fucking step of the way. We were considered in a way that, like, the audience has never been considered by any other filmmakers in the history of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. There have always been test screenings and shit like that. But it's always an afterthought. Most filmmakers are always like, I'm going to make my statement. And then the studios be like, we're going to chip away that statement because some of this shit bugs people and whatnot. We're going to make it as palatable for everyone as possible. I think these movies, particularly Endgame and, and Infinity War... Maybe the first in history where they were like, what's the audience going to like? And that is not a fucking bad thing at all. Mm. It's not a bad thing to, to not be the afterthought. You know what I'm saying? To be mm. the primary fucking thought. Because that's what an audience is. Like, they're always fucking working for us. They're always going like, what's going to put their asses in seats and shit? So with the Marvel films, they just seem to have embraced that aspect of it. And not in the way of like, you fans are important. Like, they always put out those fun videos. Like, we got the best fans in the world and shit. That's, that's nice. That makes people feel good and shit. But I sat in that movie and I was just like, they don't get here without me. And not a sense of authorship like us collectively. We believed in this dream. Like the dream that they whimsied about, amused about, that slowly fucking became a reality. We fucking dreamed with them like and made it fucking possible and stuff. So uh, those movies are incredibly fucking special. I'm so happy that I got to live for them Mm. and in that era. Because I got a second bite at the apple. You shouldn't enjoy shit this much in middle age <laughs> shit's only supposed to get more bitter and you're supposed to see the strings and, and plus add to it i work in the movie business so i know how the sausage is made but those movies fucking as for most people who grew up you know around the same time i did they make me feel like i felt when my dad took me to see raiders of the lost ark when i went to see empire strikes back for the first time like and i never thought i'd get that feeling again and i thought like oh of course that was my childhood like when i went to see phantom menace and shit like that I never got angry at that movie because I was like, of course it's not going to fucking work on me the way Star Wars did. I was seven. Like, I'm a fucking middle-aged man. I was in my 30s at this point. Like, I'm just happy to enjoy it. I'm glad there's another Star Wars movie. But these fucking Marvel movies did it. Yeah. Like, literally did it. They fucking relit the fire where they, they started up the fucking flux capacitor and took me back 
to a moment in time. The same way a great song will put you back in a very specific moment in time or a, a particular scent will put you back in a very specific moment in time. These Marvel movies are engineered and I don't think they're doing it just for us, but fuck, it works as a byproduct because I know they're working for kids as well. They're not just thinking about us. They're thinking about everybody. But they're engineered in such a way that they work like a time machine. They fucking, I come out of that thing, I feel rejuvenated, renewed, make me feel young, make me remember pleasant shit from my childhood, a happy childhood and stuff like that. That's magic. And I don't mean in the way of like movie magic. I mean, that's fucking literally alchemy, magical fucking alchemy to take celluloid and mm. turn it into hope, to turn it into a great memory of a dead parent. Oh, it's fucking mm. astounding. And you're in that universe now as well. Yes! The, the Captain but, not Marvel. By, but not by way of talent. <laughs> Simply by association. Thankfully, I knew the right guy. The- um, <laughs> that, was, that was nice. That was... Uh, the Captain Marvel moment for mm-hmm. me was fucking, and I've said it before, and I honestly fucking mean it. Like, you know, I've been in this 25 years. Clearly, I'm not in it for Oscars. But that's what you're supposed to give a shit about when you're in the movie business. That's the pinnacle of the fucking business, right? That's the highest honor you can achieve. Bullshit. Being referenced in a Marvel mm-hmm. movie? I don't even need to direct a Marvel movie. Some people be like, isn't that a higher honor? Fuck no, it seems like a lot of work. But being in a Marvel <laughs> movie and referenced in it? Fuck, man. That was everything. I cried at the fucking cinema, but I knew it was going to happen because Kevin Feige called me up in advance. To, and he goes, uh, it was right after Stan died. And uh, the, they were like, Kevin Feige calling us. Fuck, yes. <laughs> I'll uh, do whatever you want. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, he had said something really sweet. He's like, I watched the Stan video because we did the Fat Man Beyond episode yeah. where we eulogized him. And uh, he's like, I loved it. It was beautiful. I, I saw your message on Instagram. It was fantastic. And blah, blah, blah. And he goes, um, all right, down to business. He's gone. In order to go forward, I got to tell you some spoiler stuff, and you can't tell people. I said, I won't. He goes, okay, I'm going to tell you about Stan's last two cameos. Um, the, the one in Avengers is done. It's beautiful. It's finished, perfect. Fits in the film real well. He's going, the Captain Marvel one we had a little bit of problem with. I said, why? And he goes, because Stan was old and sick. This was like, like Stan maybe months before he passed away. So he was not on his... On his sprightliest steps so to speak so he said like we were trying to uh, enhance his performance and so he's going this is where i have to tell you the spoiler thing i said okay and he's going the scene is captain marvel's on a train looking for a scroll and i was like get the fuck out of here because <laughs> i was just fanning out and he's going and uh she uh sees a guy who's reading a script and we hear him before we see him. Of course, it's Stan. And the script he's reading is Mallrats. And I was, I like, gas. I was like, huh? And he was gone. And so he's sitting there reciting lines from the script. So we were wondering, like, do you have outtakes? I was like, there, there are multiple takes. I don't have them. Universal's got them and stuff. You might be able to pull from there, number one. Number two, ah! Like, <laughs> Oh, my God, dude, are you kidding me? I said, thank you so fucking much. And he's going, it's a really special cameo, Kevin. And he's going, and you deserve it because, like, you started cameos with Stan. And I was like, oh, my God. So he told me that was, like, two months before it came out. And I had to sit on that fucking secret. Me, sit on that secret and shit. (laughs) Having that Fat Man Beyond show, it was really tough. (laughs) So when I went to see it in the cinema, like, I remember thinking, like, you know, maybe it gets cut, whatever the fuck. But I was like, it's Stan's cameo, so it's probably not going to get cut. But maybe it changed. Maybe it just says fucking like Mallrats. Maybe it, it doesn't say Mallrats. Maybe it's just a script. 
But then to see that it was like the Mallrats font, mm-hmm. and then to see like my name on the, that, mm-hmm. that fucking destroyed me. But then to hear him going like, "Trust me, true believer." Like I wrote that shit twenty three years ago. Like some dopey thing for him to say in a movie and shit. Like to end that scene, and to have him like in that movie, like echoing it back. It just made me eternal. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what we're all doing in this business. We're all trying to like make a mark so that when we're fucking dead, people are like. Fuck the story's still there. Like that, that 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 person impacted and shit like that. So that you know, I'm not just saying like, oh, the fucking you know, 22 year old in me who made Clerks and Mallrats really loved that. The fucking 48 year old in me was like, it gets no better than that. Like that's I could retire off of this moment. Like because I I did it. I impacted. Like after a lifetime of referencing the movies, the movies referenced back. And and like, mm-hmm. what's going to be better than that? You know, some people have higher aspirations. I don't. No, I mean, that's, that's that's kind of that's kind of beautiful. Because I mean, you have this this thing. Obviously, you've mentioned it a couple of times: the heart attack. And you mm-hmm. know, we're we're very very glad you're here, and we're Me glad too. we're glad to see you so well and healthy. Thank and, you. And it feels almost in a way like the last year or so has been the universe giving back. Yeah, very much so. I, and I'm waiting for the universe to yank it all back. Oh, as well. and the fuck at the universe is fine. <laughs> it's, it's taking what it can from you. It's, it's okay. This is what I. This is what I was most surprised by, the general warmth. I got to go to my own funeral, so to speak. Um, and the Internet, as we all know, could be a harsh place. <laughs> and I've been a creature of the Internet for, you know, better part of over 20 years at this point. I first got on in um, the wake of Mallrats. So, yeah, 23 fucking years, man. And the Internet's been a big part of what I do, but it's also at times, like, <laughs> come back and bit me and shit like that. So... Knowing how cruel the place is, when the heart attack news went out, I was just like, oh, here it comes. Like, I wish he'd stayed silent. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) shit like that. Like, oh, we were so lucky. He almost died, but he fucking lived. And I'm sure, like, you know, if if you dig deep on 4chan, there might have been some stuff like that somewhere. But generally speaking, nowhere did I see fuckers dancing on my grave. And I saw a lot of, like, like warmth and kindness and like, you know, oh my God, like he made me want to do shit like that. That was awesome. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't need three ghosts in the night to like change my life or something like that. (laughs) But what a fucking Ebenezer Scrooge moment to actually be kind of present for like, this is what it would have been like. It wouldn't have been a bunch of motherfuckers jumping on my grave, like, which I don't care at that point I'm dead. But sometimes you see like people fucking die and get dragged like on social media Hmm. like and you think about not the dead person but like their fucking family looking at this shit going like that was my father man that was my mother like you know you're taking their death fucking lightly is the worst moment of my life so i was like oh man my kid who's real emo and sensitive you're gonna have to deal with a fuck ton of like good i'm glad he's fucking dead and shit like that and what i saw was she 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 may not have to deal with that because I didn't have to deal with it. Because a bunch of people were like, whoo, I'm glad you're here and shit like that. It was it was really it was, it was beautiful. It was simply beautiful. Honestly, the heart attack was the best thing that could happen to me. It saved my life. Uh, it made me get in better shape. And not like, I'm going to exercise. I just went vegan, so shit just fell off and whatnot. Uh, it was a, a certainly a reminder that, like, you're not a young man anymore when – you know, the because of the life I've had, because like I, the film career kicked off when I was like 23 years old, there is this like, where did I read it? God, I want to remember the quote. So I just read somewhere that, oh, it was in this essay about temptation. What was the guy who wrote it? Brilliant essay about 
the New Order song Temptation. And okay. the guy said, he was talking about how these kids collided and made the perfect fucking song that is like this. It's about nothing, yet this anthem to youth that instantly evocative. Like it, it changes your demeanor. It's a magic spell and stuff like that. But the reference that he made in it was they did and I'm going to get it wrong. Essentially, they didn't know what they were doing and it kind of worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And in reading this, I was like, oh, shit, that's kind of like my career. And you can you can get people once by being like, hi, here I am. Here's my magic trick and shit like that. But as we all know, with time, people just, you know, what else you got? And then other things happen and. Fucking, that's more shiny and stuff. It's tough to prolong something. It's tough to keep a career going in a business that's predicated on what's new. So what I found out was that I'd I'd done all all right up to that point where I got to, like, the heart attack fucking buoyed me. Like, gave me a, a second act in a weird way. Like, not just, like physically like living on earth but suddenly even in the work like you know because people like you almost died man Mm. and that whatever you say afterwards is supposed to have more impact or whatever supposed you're supposed to you know be a little bit deeper and all it did was just enhance my passion for the things i do love like it made me love the avengers fucking more like it made me love my work more like it made me feel like oh you know, like, I don't know how to describe it. There's no gauge, man. Like, I wish I was just a filmmaker because then I could look at other filmmakers and s- see how I'm mm. doing. And for a while in my career, I could. But I was so chicken shit of what I would find that I diversified very quickly. So it wasn't just film. It was like, well, I'm going to stand on stage and talk. And, and I'm going to write comics. And I'm going to do this. Because if you don't like this, I'm going to pivot over here. Because I'm going to get you one way or another. <laughs> like, if I don't get you with the film, I'm going to get you with this. If I don't get you with this, I'm going to get you with this. If I don't yeah. get you with this, so forth and so on. But because of that, there are a few people that I can look at and be like, oh, there is my model. There is not my equal in as much as there's no equal to me. But nobody does it kind of quite like I do it. So it's tough to figure out how you're doing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The heart attack let me know that I was doing okay. Based on the reaction, it wasn't a bunch of people what I assumed would be like, you know, some people go, I love him to death. And then a loud majority dancing on my grave going, fuck him. And fucking clerks was wasn't even that good. Fuck him. But instead, it was a bunch of people like, look, I don't like it all. But like, he's always out there. He's doing it. And mm. it, that makes that makes me feel a bit of comfort that he's still plugging away. For some people, it's inspirational because they like makes them feel like I can do it. And it's true. It's the thing that. I always try to tell people that if even if they don't like me and shit, like if you like me, like look at my career and try to do what I did. There's a path. I'm, I laid a map just like Richard Linklater fucking laid out a map for me. I laid out a map for you cats. But even more so, if you're like, I fucking hate that guy and he talks all the time. Why is he? Why does anyone give a shit? I always see that on YouTube. Like, why does anyone give a shit what he thinks about fucking Mysterio? Like, fuck this guy. And I get it. Like, I have that feeling about people in the world. I just don't share those feelings. <laughs> but there are people in the world with I'm like, why them? I don't get it. But I don't express it and shit. So I understand when people feel that way and stuff. But the heart attack, like, for some reason, like, made people go like, well, you know, he talks a lot, but he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that felt pretty good. That would give me enough juice to go like another 25 if I can. Yeah. You know, so I, I hope I can and stuff. And 
And the other thing is somebody said like recently they're like I like the I like the like the new you the positive you and I was like well I've always been pretty positive. But they're like yeah but now it's more about everyone else than you and that I have noticed. Like at the beginning of my career it was of course all about me. And believe me it's always all about me. I like talking about me and shit. But at this stage of my career I'm more interested in like here take this and run with it. Mm-hmm. Here you could do this. Here's how you give like here's some information because I know I'm getting back to the to the fan part of my life. I know I'm getting back to being just a viewer, a spectator. Mm-hmm. And part of me I know is is encouraging and doing this and telling people how and blah 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 because I'm setting the table for myself because I'm like I'm I'm going to be want to be entertained and it's like like that's why I became an entertainer because I was like I want to make some shit that nobody else is making now everyone makes the shit that I make like now throw a rock and you hit a movie about some fucking underdeveloped man child who you know <laughs> fucking finds love and shit like that oh you read my spec <laughs> yeah you know I was out there in droves in the beginning it wasn't that's why I did it because I was like I want to see something about us and now you can see us like fucking crazy <laughs> so now it's like I just want to pass it on to folks because now it's time for their us you know what I'm saying? That's where the cool stories are going to come from, the interesting stories. So if you groom the audience and tell them how to do it, they're going to make some art, going to blow your socks off. Somebody's going to make that fucking movie that I'm like, fuck. And like, you're going to meet some cats, hopefully, who go like, hey, I did this because you said some shit. Like, you know, Jason Reitman was like, I got into film because I saw Clerks. And I'm like, not because of Ghostbusters? And he's like, no, because Clerks made me feel like I could do it. Like me and my friends sat around and talked like that and shit. <laughs> So, like, I, you know, I like that. That's what gives me my jollies the most now. In the beginning, I think it was, like, first stage of my career was, like, getting critics to like the movie and stuff. And then the stage of my career for a minute, it was about, like, well, we got to do box office. But now I'm at this stage of my career where it's all about, like, how does it feel? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even matter if the movie does well or not. I try to get people their money back, so it matters on that level. But, like... <laughs> In terms of, like, doesn't light the world on fire and shit. Like, Yoga Hosers is going to take a longer than most of the others. But you got to remember, I lived through mall rats. And when mall rats happened, it was received worse than fucking Yoga Hosers. Like, a poorer reaction than Yoga Hosers. And has aged incredibly well to the point where it fucking pops up in Captain Marvel. And so, Yoga Hosers will have that. I've seen it already. Like, people who are like, my kid loves that movie. And meeting girls who are like, that's my favorite fucking movie and shit like that. It'll take another 10 years, but that movie will prove that it it was worth making. You know what I'm saying? That's your cameo in Captain Marvel 5, <laughs> 20 years from now. Yes, bitch. She's on a flying subway car. Yes. You're in there reading lines from Yoga from Hosers. From Yoga Hosers. Yeah. Going, and then hopefully she stops and she's like, I could stop you a lot of heartbreak right now. <laughs> Just skip this and go to Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. You'll be yeah. much happier. She I'm honestly cute. glad that I didn't make Jay and Bob reboot back when I did like coming after the heart attack it's a better movie like it would have been an entertaining movie like a funny movie if we made a pre-heart attack because it's still there yeah. but man it was fucking deeply informed yeah. by the heart attack so it's this feels machine like it makes you laugh but it gives you an ocean of fucking feels uh, I look forward to people seeing it oh man cannot wait Kevin I got, I, we could talk to you all day but A you gotta catch a flight and B we gotta know, back to podcast in here but this has fucking been awesome it was lovely you came over and shit Chris was there he saw yeah, yeah. he saw the madness as it was happening and stuff we were like up against it we were constantly fucking working more so than on any, any other movie I've been on or I was because I was in every fucking scene as well and I forgot about that aspect of it but it was nice that we got signed to chit chat and, and you were one of the first people I saw footage of the movie yeah very so hard. jealous so really, jealous. really funny but it also has an emotional undercurrent that mm-hmm. you know that is informed I think by what Kevin was talking it's about. It's the feels, yeah. man. That's the as I, I mean, 
I guess the older I get, I'm like, well, I, now I'm comfortable in the fact that I know I can make people laugh. Not everybody, but like I know 25 years in, like they pay me to be funny. So I'm like, I guess like mm-hmm. it's working out and shit. But since I can do that, like now the thing I'm interested in is like, all right, let me fucking let me make you cry. Let me fucking make you feel. <laughs> let me like, you know, back in the day, like I remember seeing Pulp Fiction and being like, God, he could do such a crazy tonal shift from yeah. like really funny to really horrifying. But now I like to do the tonal shift of like really funny to really heartbreaking and see if people stay on for the ride and then like throw in a laugh in the middle of the fucking tears and shit like that. It's just, you know, it's you're playing with the audience and like you always like to see them react. And it's great to watch their reaction. Be like, ah, <laughs> like just go all over the place. <laughs> Mad scientist. When do you think we're going to get to see it? Fall. Uh, Universal has it. Over uh, here. That's autumn for British people. I mean, I w- I'd be surprised if it wasn't October, November, somewhere in that corridor. But before the end of this year, for sure. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Kevin. Hour and a- 34 minutes. Tight as a drum. Mm-hmm. There you go. Perfect. It's no perfect. end it's game this. It's, it, you can watch, you can watch <laughs> this twice, <laughs> twice in the span game. of one end game. But to be fair, end game, vastly better movie. <laughs> Way more IP in that we'll, movie. We'll be the judge of that. We'll be the judge of that. Kevin, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, thanks, for, for thanks so much guys. for coming in. Kevin Smith, he talks a lot, but he's all right. <laughs> And that was Kevin Smith, and that is it for this Empire Podcast interview special. Hope you enjoyed it. A couple of quick plugs before we go. Our next issue features Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's the movie with Harley Quinn Smith in it, as you heard, on the cover. And inside is a celebration of Quentin Tarantino himself, featuring a very heartfelt tribute to QT by... Kevin Smith. So pick that up if you fancy it. It's on sale now in All Good and Evil News Agents, and in a digital edition, too because we're all modern-like. And if you're new to the podcast, we have a weekly show that's out every Friday where the Empire team discuss the week's movie news, review some films, and generally talk a load of movie nonsense. If you fancy subscribing to that, that would be rather wonderful. We also have regular spoiler special podcasts where we sit down with directors, writers, and producers and drill down into the latest blockbusters. Recent episodes include Avengers Endgame with Joe and Anthony Russo and the writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, Rocketman with Dexter Fletcher, and coming soon will be X-Men Dark Phoenix with Simon Kimberg, Yesterday with Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis, and Spider-Man Far From Home with John Watts. And if you do already subscribe to the podcast, well, thank you very much. There's nothing to see here. Move along. Oh, and by the way, we hope to have Kevin back in the pod when Jen Silent Bob reboot comes out in the fall. Sorry, autumn. Anyway, that's enough from me. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.